Hey, player two, you're awake, and you're in the land of Pod. Hi, I'm Kitty M, the All Geek. I'm going to be taking you through this place. We have got so much to get through this week. Cosplaying the Drowned, how we can make conventions magical again, and it's all got to do with Star Trek. How a $350 jacket's going to lead to a robot uprising. Oh yeah, and the ghosts of dead Pokemon making life hard for people. Come on, player two. Let's roll. Player two, come in, sit down. Yeah, the orc bartender does look relaxed. It's because con season is pretty much over for them now, so they no longer have to spend all their time crying and sewing and accidentally hot-gluing their hands together. They're finally catching up on all those TV series and manga and comic books that they missed out on because the last few weeks have been a hellish storm of blood and sweat and tears and oh god, why did I do that? The orc bartender and I have a lot in common. That's why I want to date them. But let's get into the news, which you may have also missed player two because I assume you may have been waiting to go to cons as well. First, let's talk about this Levi jacket that's $350, which doesn't surprise me because fashion is weird. But this one you can only wash about 10 times because you can control your phone with it without having to actually look at your phone. You just do some weird movements to your sleeve and suddenly you've skipped the track you don't want to listen to. It's all because they've sewn fairy blood or technology into the material. This may seem like an overpriced and impractical gadget, which are really the best kinds, but what it really means is we're one step closer to getting those handphones from Total Recall. Then we'll be cyborgs. Come the robot uprising, I for one will be voting for my robot overlords with my cyborg hand because humanity is kind of terrible and robots should be allowed to rule us for a bit. At least until the dolphins decide they want to rule us for a bit. Because I think that would be fun. Dolphins seem okay. Speaking of the future, Star Trek Discovery has graced our screens. It was a two-episode intro, and it introduced us to the newest member of the Star Trek franchise. There's Klingons trying to bring together fractured houses of their people, a woman with a traditionally male name who's been raised by Vulcans but is actually an Earthling, and a warlike federation. Without spoiling it, what I can tell you is they seem to be getting it right. I've been a Trekkie for a very long time, and the spirit of Star Trek far and away centers around the discovery of self, the dissection of human condition, the exploration through the seeking out and interaction with other alien races and cultures. But really cool gadgets and awesome explosions are also pretty key to the whole deal, and Star Trek Discovery skimps on none of this. It makes the relevant social commentary that is its backbone, but also gives some solid physical performances. One of the points of contention I know people will have is with the scenes where humans go hand-to-hand -hand in combat with the Klingons. They struggle, but are by no means outmatched by them. This may seem like it doesn't fit. Klingons are superior to humans in a number of ways, especially physically. In hand-to-hand -hand combat, a human shouldn't be able to hold their own, let alone best them. But within this storyline, the Klingons are fractured and weakened as a society. That humans are able to hold their own against them shows the degradation of the Klingon race and why they would be so desperate to reforge themselves as a stronger people. I mean, strength is key to being Klingon. That's always been the way it is, and I think we're going to get to see a little more of that with this new series. This Star Trek is more warlike, and I didn't know how much I would be okay with that. After all, it's Star Trek, not Star Wars. 
but there have always been hints of conflict in the past in the other Star Trek series. Indeed, while Enterprise and its ilk are on Discovery missions, the violence of the past is never far away. There is a military structure to the Federation. Picard is a man who's been in war situations. There is even a manoeuvre named after him. So military conflict has never really been far from the universe, and this series might actually examine that more thoroughly, and I'm excited for it. More than that, I'm excited to see how they will change the opening monologue, which we have not heard yet, but I am expecting for the third episode. There was something that chilled me, in a good way, during Star Trek Next Generation, when they changed where no man has gone before to where no one has gone before. (sighs) Don't let me down, Star Trek. Don't let me down. Something that is going to let me down, I just know it, is that your name is being made into a live action. (sighs) By Hollywood. Your name was an anime by Makoto Shinkai, and it was glorious. Your name, the anime, is a basic body swap story. A boy from the city, a girl from the country swap bodies, and it's all very touching and beautiful, and you should watch the anime. And you know what? A live action should be good. I should trust it. Any other story that wasn't an anime, I might trust it. There is some A-plus talent in there. The producer of the original movie is going to be on board. J.J. Abrams is tagged to direct. Eric Heiserer from The Arrival is going to write the screenplay. But your name from an outsider's perspective is a distinctly Japanese story. There are Japanese gender identifier language jokes that English speakers don't have an equivalent for. There's even the showing of differences between city and country, which I doubt would translate well, as mainstream Western media constantly fails to adequately show the differences between city and country in their own countries. And I say that as a girl who grew up in the country and moved to the city. You keep getting it wrong. Here, though, is how you make a faithful, your name, live action adaption from Hollywood. First, you make sure all the actors are Japanese. Then, you set it in Japan. And you animate it. And you just watch the original because we don't need a live action. Hollywood, stop eating the things I love. Now, in other news that probably makes me a hypocrite, Batman's anime movie comes out next year. And my heart cannot take this awesome. It's Batman Ninja. And it looks amazing. And there's a reason why it's different. See... Anime makes things cooler. Case in point, the anime version of Pennywise in the drain was cooler. Batman in an anime is cooler. All the Marvel anime is cooler. The Blade Runner 2020 anime short from the director of Cowboy Bebop is cooler. Hollywood, which I do love and does a lot of American stuff pretty well from an outsider's perspective, consistently doesn't make things that are anime cool. It ruins them. But speaking of DC, that shared unit, that shared... But speaking of movies and DC, that shared cinematic universe isn't so shared anymore. Some DC bigwigs have said that the upcoming standalone movies of Justice League members will be part of, but not really interconnecting with, the overarching Justice League movie story. That makes sense. You just treat each Justice League member movie as a one-shot, setting up the character. Marvel did that with great success. Personally, I'm sick of seeing headlines and articles suggesting that DC is somehow crumbling under the pressure of building their cinematic empire when they go, oh, now it's not interconnected. Look, DC are masters of storytelling. And before you had Robert Downey Jr. bringing the cool back to superheroes, we already had a stack of Batman, Linda Carter as Wonder Woman, and so many Superman stories. So calm down. They have this. Will they make a mistake? 
Yeah, probably. I mean, they made Suicide Squad and put nipples on Robin, but I have faith in them. Faith, my friend. And faith is what a lot of gamers needed to wait for Cuphead to come out. This is a game that's been coming for, what, five years now? It's in the style of those old school animations back when Mickey Mouse was Steamboat Willie. But it's super hard, like difficult to play. I'm not going to buy it because I generally only buy games where I can date the other characters and or kill them with swords. Plus, the game looks pretty difficult and I'm not good at games. That said, it looks amazing and everyone's raving about it. So if it's your style player too, get on it. But not right now. We've got a whole land of pod to explore. I haven't even gotten through everything on the notice board, so we'll get there when we come back. Come on, player two. I want to tell you about cosplay and the drowned. Player two, welcome to Aquaman's palace. Okay, so I couldn't get us in there because the security is super tight. <laughs> Anyone would think he's a king or something. Oh, that explains it. That explains it. This moderately leaky underwater bed sit will have to do. Use your imagination. Pretend it's a palace. We're here so I can talk about the drowned and how I cosplayed her and why I cosplayed a character that hardly anyone would recognize right now. The Drowned is a character in the Dark Knight's Metal Ark storyline. She's basically, what if Aquaman was Batman and evil? That might be oversimplifying things. She's not getting her own issue until October 18 as a one-shot from DC Comics and as a character in the wider story of the Batman Dark Knight's arc. So it goes like this, and I'm keeping it simple because I don't want to spoil anything for you, and also there's very little information out there because you should read the story. But... What if there's a universe where each member of the Justice League is tainted by Batman's darker side? Some people are calling this an identity crisis for Batman, but it sort of rests on the question of what if Batman wasn't just Batman? If he was another member of the Justice League, what kind of person does that create? Batman, as I said in the Batman special last week in the Land of Pod, is a mixed up guy. And possibly the only thing that stops him from being truly terrifying to the law-abiding citizens is, other than his amazing intellect, he doesn't have superpowers. His brain is his shield. His willpower is his weapon. So, when the Justice League is suddenly Batman, as well as being themselves, and other than maybe Wonder Woman, that is not a completely balanced group to begin with, I mean, just imagine it. And that's what Scott Snyder's done. Because he's brilliant. From the first sketch shared by Greg Capullo, I wanted to be the drowned, and I didn't even know her story yet. Capullo is one of my favourite comic book artists. I didn't always get his style, because thin lines have never really been my thing, but the more I see of his work, the more detail that I see in there, and the more I appreciate it. So any sketch he puts up now, I scan it for any little hint of what might be coming next. And on first glance, I thought she was a steampunk reimagining of Batwoman, and I was ready to cosplay her anyway. Then, as more details about the Dark Knight's story came out, and I realised she was a mix between Batman and Aquaman, if you've ever heard me talk about Aquaman, you know he's my second favourite of all time. Yeah, everyone's jumping on the pirate ship now that Jason Momoa's Aquaman, acting like Aquaman has been a joke up until right when Momoa was revealed. First off, Aquaman is delightful in Batman Brave and the Bold, and I will physically fight you about that. But not actually, because, like, fights require 
wearing not house pants and I I don't want to have to put on outside pants. Second, Aquaman has been a badass since the beginning. He's just Superman, but he can also talk to dolphins. Can Superman talk to dolphins? I don't know. Don't answer that. I don't care. Superman's a jerk. But I like the drowned. I liked her because she's not pretty. She's not sexualized, but you get the idea that she can be sexy if she wants. She looks tough and imposing. But more than that, she just looks brutal. I've been waiting for a female DC character that actually speaks to me forever. I know there's plenty out there, but none of them have grabbed me by the throat and dragged me down to loving them the way The Drowned has. I mean, yeah, Harley Quinn, she's well, she's not terrifying. She's psychotic, but in that chainsaw-wielded-by-a-bunny sort of way. It's scary, but it's also super cute. Wonder Woman is level-headed and gorgeous. Men flock to her, everyone loves her and desires her. She's also morally upright and a genuinely good person. She doesn't let her, her rage and more base emotions overtake her. So she and I have very little in common. Batwoman's great, but she doesn't have the same moral ambiguity as Batman. And Poison Ivy and Mira are probably close to where I want to be, but to cosplay them would mean going into the realm of sexy cosplay. And I love seeing sexy cosplay, but it's not something I can do or want to do. I enjoy not being cold, but more than that, I enjoy being the stuff of nightmares. And with Batman and Aquaman combined, that's a lot of rage and brutality that is rare to see in a female character just generally. I don't know much about the Drowned right now, none of us do, but from her picture and the storyline that's surfacing, I see the potential for her to be brutal, for her to be scary. The fact that her face is messed up. If I wasn't already won over by her, I was when I realised that. Because as a cosplayer, not only do I want to cosplay characters that I'm drawn to, one of my greatest joys is ruining my face. Scars, open wounds, bruises, blood, any opportunity to make someone recoil in horror when they realise what's going on on my dial. I love it, and I don't know why. I'm sure there's a mess of psychological reasons behind it, though none of them pretty. But female cosplay doesn't often afford me a lot of opportunities to do that sort of thing. Female characters tend to have to be pretty, so even when they're disfigured, they're not really. Not the drowned, though. If you're wondering how I did it, I want to say it's easy, but at the same time it did take a while. It's a mixture of Sin Wax, which is like that nose putty you can get, some eyeliners, and vegan face paint from Merin. Oh, and I use the bruise wheel from Merin as well, like it's going out of style in pretty much all of my cosplay. Best investment I ever made. And that's it. Side note, anything you ever see me wearing on my face or body is vegan, because I don't think animals should be in pain just because I want a certain shade of lipstick. Also, some lipstick has bucks in it. True story. If you're just starting out in cosplay and want to play around with makeup, watch some tutorials for sure, but only for the techniques. That's how I did this latest one. My greatest joy when I'm doing makeup, though, is creating my own thing. I play around with the makeup once or twice before doing a con. In this instance, I only had the night before the drown to do it, but I knew what I was basically going for. I went off pictures that I found of her, found the parts I wanted to get just right, and then played around with the parts that I knew I had some creative license on. Like the lip scars, I did not want to leave them out at all. And no, it's not done with rigid collodion. That's an SFX thing that tightens your skin. I'm never going to be putting that 
right near my mouth. I used Sinwax for that as well. I bought a metre or two of green fabric from the material shop and roughly sewed it into a tunic, then cut it to make the tassels from the hip down. But the back of it doesn't even exist. I sewed some leftover strips of fabrics to the side and tied it at the back so it pulled as tight as I wanted it to. I luckily already had the jacket, pants and boots, but it is coming up to Halloween, so if needs be, I could have gotten pirate extenders to make it look like I was wearing pirate boots. And the corset or clincher just around the waist? Well, I've always been a bit of a goth, so I had a corset laying around. I sewed calico fabric over the existing corset, sewed a plasticky type material over that. It was a bit stretchy, so that part was difficult, and I don't have a sewing machine, so it's all done by hand. And it took some time, but I was happy with the result. For a necklace, that's just a choker I bought because I wanted to goth it up for the Lost Boys screening a few weeks ago. And then I got a stack of pie tins, the little alfoil ones, put two together to make a medallion, then sprayed it gold with some Tamiya spray paint and tied it to the choker with some twine. For the eyepiece, which you'll see as part of the Batman mask, I attached that with Velcro dots, just basically to a Batman mask that I bought. It's made up of those uh, fake nerd glasses. I broke it in half, painted behind the glass with Tamiya orange gloss paint. Thanks to Oz Destro on Twitter, you might also know him as Beardy Hammer for that cute trick. And then sprayed the frame of the glass the same gold as the medallion. And my arm piece, which probably doesn't get seen that much in photos, was just garden knee pads I bought ages ago to make armour with. They came with their own Velcro, so I hot glued a pirate medallion and a monocular from a kid's pirate set and sprayed them all gold too. I don't want to overstate it, but this is all pretty simple stuff once you know how to do it. It does take time though, and a bit of guts. When you see any of my cosplay, any of the face paint, be aware it comes after practice and failures. My first makeup for cosplay was Deadpool. I used colours from a bruise wheel and rigid collodion to make it look like I had ready to burst sores on my face. It was fine, but not that great. My second was Joker. Everyone mistakes her for the Heath Ledger Joker, but actually I was going for more a Flashpoint Paradox Joker. This last weekend, I decided she was going into hibernation because I didn't want to get it caught in the trap of only ever doing her. Since Joker, I've been an NPC from Wellington Wells from the game We Happy Few. Have you taken your joy today? I've also been a lady version of Thrall from World of Warcraft. But the trick to any of it is just to practice and to get okay with stuffing it up. I'm also lucky that I have the kind of day job and the lack of responsibilities that afford me the money and occasionally the time to get good materials and play around with them. I know every cosplayer says this and I'm by far not the most experienced, but really you just need to do it. If you saw that cosplay and went, wow, I want to try that, try it. And don't worry about the, there are people much better than me. Because I think that all the time, and there are people out there that are better than me, that are better than you. Don't worry about what other people think of your costume or your makeup. The key is to do it for you, because you love that character. Not because someone's going to compliment you on it, but because you want to show your fandom. Wave that freak flag high, kiddo. And that's why I enjoyed being the Drowned. I don't know much about her, and I hope she turns out to be the character that I can really get into. But at least for this last con, I was cosplaying for the love of the character. For the possibilities I saw in those sketches and those few shots of her. So even if I hadn't done a great job, I cared, but I cared more about enjoying being her. And that's what cosplay is to me. 
It's repping my fandom, a character, a story, a possibility. For others, it might just be a cool character design, or looking nice in a costume of a character they don't know much about, but they know they can pull off. There are loads of reasons to cosplay, but I think if you cosplay as someone you're passionate about, then it doesn't matter how good your skills are, because you get to be that person for the day. So there you go, player two. I hope those tips and tricks help you out. Now we're going to go look at stopping some hearts and Kiefer Sutherland. I've brought you to this abandoned church with that gurney over there to talk to you about flatliners. I don't know whether I've told you this player too, but I am a huge fan of Kiefer Sutherland. Like ever since I was a little kid, he's been my favorite character in every movie I've seen him in. Okay, so you already know that because I did an entire Meat Space episode on him, but anyway. When the new Flatliners was announced, I was skeptical. Flatliners is based around the idea of medical students who kill themselves to see what's on the other side, then are brought back by other medical students who totes don't want a dead body on their hands. Turns out, though, the things they're trying to comprehend aren't interested in being worked out like a Rubik's Cube and instead want those students to look inwards. Take that science, all those years of trying to kill belief in the supernatural with facts, now the supernatural is back and it's angry. The original Flatliners had Kiefer Sutherland. The new Flatliners also has Kiefer Sutherland in it, so I decided not to hate it initially. Also, it has Ellen Page in it and she's delightful. So let's get to comparing and contrasting the two because I am so not cool. Let's start with the original. Stellar cast. Kiefer Sutherland, Julia Roberts, who he ended up getting engaged to, and that's a whole other story. Kevin Bacon, who would go on to be in A Few Good Men with Kiefer. William Baldwin and Oliver Platt, who was in The Three Musketeers with Kiefer Sutherland and Charlie Sheen, which was a Disney movie that should not have had a PG rating given all the horrible deaths and the suicide. Like any movie of its time, they all start out as archetypes of their characters. Brilliant but psychotic Nelson, played by Sutherland. The beautiful Ice Queen, played by Roberts. The genius rebel with a cause, and that cause is practicing medicine, goddammit, played by Bacon. The sleazy playboy, played by Baldwin. And the intellectual snob, played by Platt. It's kind of like Breakfast Club, but if they were all medical students and instead of detention they were all performing dangerous experiments on one another, we find out there's more beneath the surface. But kind of like Breakfast Club, because someone's always being told to watch the door. They get brought back, but they bring something back with them. Then things shift gears. I'm not going to get into details, but imagine if it was no longer about a group of five kids being terrorized by an evil force taking the shape of an adult, but it was five adults being terrorized by children. The original centers around our own existence. What makes us who we are. How different people face the same challenge. Why we make the terrible choices we make and how we carry the weight of those choices into every avenue of our lives. Five separate people dealing with the same problems in ways unique to them. It's also about that quest for knowledge, that urge to understand. New Flatliners has the same predicament, medical students passing over to see what's out there, but... It's a different generation, so the story is treated differently. Whether they mean to or not, the difference between original Flatliners and new Flatliners is a comment on the difference between Gen X and Gen Y. Gen X Flatliners are about discovery and pushing the boundaries because they're there to be pushed. They compete against each other for greater understanding of what's beyond the veil, rebelling against the established order of their own science, their professions, and the universe itself. 
and taking personal responsibility when the slingshot of those actions comes back to smack them in the face. Quite literally, Kiefer Sutherland absolutely gets wailed on. I love the guy, but it's a little bit hilarious to see the man who would be Jack Bauer sniveling as he gets beaten up by a kid. Gen Y Flatliners starts with selfish reasons and ends with them. They come back from their experience with their brains rewired for greatness and one by one undergo the experiment to get that high and that edge over everyone else. They want the shortcut to success and their slingshot isn't the same either, nor is their reaction to it, but it totally plays into the stereotype of Gen Y not taking responsibility for anything and blaming any failure on anyone but them. Gen Y Flatliners has some great nods to the Gen X one, so I recommend watching the original if you can get your hands on it, especially if you can see it before going to the cinema, but either way. The best nod that they didn't make was the role Kiefer Sutherland plays. He should have been Nelson. He wouldn't have had to do anything different, but him just having a character being called Nelson as a grown-up senior doctor on a campus where other generations were making the same mistakes but for different reasons Ah, that would have been the easy touch that would have skyrocketed this movie into awesomeness. As it is, they chose not to. Doesn't matter. Kiefer Sutherland is a boss. Both movies are scary, both build tension and suspense wonderfully, and while the Gen Y Flatliners has some class moments where it fails is repetition. Yes, that thing was scary the first time you did it. I wish I'd worn my brown pants, but you can't do it a second time with another character. Jump shots only work while we're guessing it'll be one thing and then it's another thing. You don't get to repeat the trick. But when you're competing against Joel Schumacher as a director when it comes to horror, well... Schumacher is the one who directed Lost Boys, which had Kiefer Sutherland in it. Also, Jason Patrick, who went on to later date Julia Roberts after she famously broke up her engagement with Sutherland. It caused such a scandal. Anyway, Schumacher knows how to make you scared just by using a camera. Special effects are good, but there are other ways to build dread for a character, and he does it. Don't envy the Gen Y filmmakers trying to compete with that. The most telling scene that won't ruin anything for you, if I tell you, if you're going to compare the two, is when you look at how when Nelson is brought back, compared with Ellen Page's character, whose name I can't remember. After celebration, they both sit quietly, contemplating the night. Both seem in awe of their surroundings. They can see and feel more than they ever have. Ellen Page's character is struck by the world around her and then says, I'm going to go bake bread. Kiefer Sutherland's character instead describes how he can hear so much. The sounds of the city, the cars, and underneath all that, he can hear this sound, like something dragging. And it's getting closer. As his friend leaves him to go get the others, that dragging sound gets closer and he discovers what it is. And that's when the horror starts. And so now, player two, I am thoroughly frightened. So let's get out of here. Seriously though, can you hear that dragging sound? Yes, I've brought you to an empty hallway. You may be wondering why. Well, it's budget restrictions mainly, and because convention time is almost at an end. And there's been a change happening at conventions, and it's not all good, 
and we're going to talk about that. See, geek is chic right now. Or more to the point, geek culture is cool. Our lore, our TV shows, our movies, the many fandoms of geekery have been caught in the currents of mainstream. The problem is it's pulled us all out into the ocean and geek conventions have turned into a riptide. But let's step back a bit. Being a geek or nerd wasn't always a good thing to be. A few years ago, even going to a convention was something uncool. Back when I was at school, you didn't admit to playing any video game that wasn't Grand Theft Auto or Tony Hawk. And you most definitely didn't bust a spleen waiting for them to arrive. Comic books, tabletop gamings, MUDs, RPG, cosplay, anime. No, that was for losers. I should know I was one of those losers. And damn proud of it, by the way. My only regret is I didn't get deeper into it sooner. It's only recently that being a nerd or geek has become a good thing or just or just a thing that someone can be, like a sports fan. And I'm happy that the new generation of geeklets don't have to go through what a lot of us did. You should be proud of your interests. You should be passionate about your fandoms, and you shouldn't get picked on for that. But before that was the case, conventions were the safe space for geeks and nerds. They certainly weren't the safest and nicest, but there was still a place where you could go and walk into and say, my people. They also weren't always the most fun to walk around, because a nerd can be a single-minded creature. When it spies a clever representation of its fandom of choice, it will, like any wild animal on the prowl, revert to its baser instincts and will betide any fool who stands in their way. So I don't want to paint pre-mainstream cons as perfect. They were not. People wore less deodorant, the locations were difficult to get to, and just because someone is a geek doesn't mean they adhere to any social conventions of politeness. But things have changed, and I've noticed it at the most recent conventions. I went to Oz Comic Con this weekend. Last year was phenomenal. This year, it's a new venue, and Saturday was murder. Too many people. Not enough space. It was hell. But it also didn't feel the same, and this is a thing that's been happening that is not unique to Oz Comic Con. In fact, last year, it felt like OzCC was immune to it. Like it had flown under the radar of the mainstream just enough to keep them out. This year, things were different, at least on Saturday. Sunday felt better, but I think it's because of the mainstream people. And I have nothing against them. I don't hate people who aren't geeks, and I certainly don't want to be the gatekeeper of geekery. I mean, obviously I do want to be that, because who wouldn't want that power? But we've had way too much of getting people to prove their geekery. You don't have to know everything about your fandom to be a geek. You can be a geeklet at the age of 60, new to it all. Being a nub isn't a bad thing, and it doesn't mean we take away your geek badge. Those things are never going to be my issue, and a con might be the thing that wakes someone up to their geekery. But there are people who aren't geeks who go to cons now. That's okay. It's okay to be a non-geek at a convention. The problem is how a lack of awareness is changing a safe space that is still very much needed, to be honest with you, into just another public place. Because you've got two very different groups. One group is consuming geek products. The other is consuming geek culture. And the group that is consuming geek products doesn't understand they're in someone else's space. So they don't know there's different rules, a different way of being. And I think that changes the atmosphere. People get all too cool for school. It may sound like I'm just being grumpy that my special thing is now mainstream and I can no longer feel unique and cool anymore. Well, joke's on you. I was never cool. And a sudden peak in interest in geek culture by the mainstream isn't going to affect that in the slightest. Even within geek culture, I'm on the outer because I'm too weird and awkward and depressed to hang around with the cool geeks. No, what I'm angry about is that a space where I felt like I belonged, even on the fringes, 
is slowly losing its magic. That magic that lets me exist for a few hours away from everything else. Because everything else for me is generalised anxiety in a city like Sydney where personal space is a luxury afforded to the happy few who can avoid the hour plus commute of inhaling someone else's breath zone. It's needing a week to get up the courage to change your coffee order, which is a huge step from ordering the same thing for lunch for six years because you didn't want to hold up the line in case you ordered something different and stuffed it up. Because everything else for me is an autoimmune disease that when it's flaring, that means when it's active, I have to portion out my energy because fatigue is not the same as not getting enough sleep. It means invasive procedures. It means large pills to swallow in the hopes they'll slow the damage my body is doing itself. And again, I'm not alone or unique in this. There's not a geek out there that doesn't find geekery because they don't want to get away from everything else, whatever everything else means for them. So now we're here. Being a geek is mainstream accepted. But the reasons for why we are drawn to geekery still aren't. And more importantly, the safe space that a geek convention provides are not respected. Geeks are made to give room up to another group when we're not done with this safe space yet. And I don't want to tell anyone they can't go to a convention. Because even if I did, would that solve anything? Would anyone listen? <laughs> no. So what's the solution? Asking people to be nicer? Hoping that by venting this frustration that people are self-aware enough to realise that sometimes we can be jerks and we need to try to be better and more compassionate? No, that won't work. If that sort of thing worked on humanity, we wouldn't need safe spaces in the first place. So here's an actual solution, and it comes from a Star Trek episode. I think Doctor Who also stole the idea and tried it with the Daleks. But first it was an episode in Star Trek Next Generation called I Borg. They capture a Borg, plan to infect it with a virus, and send it back to the Borg, but instead the Borg becomes humanised. He becomes an individual. He's still allowed to go back to the Borg, in fact they give him the choice of whether he will or not. And the theory goes that he may just introduce the virus of humanity into their thinking. He might change the Borg. We can't do that exactly, because it's illegal to take anyone against their will and brainwash them into being better people. Also, I imagine such a thing would require a lot of funding, not that I've looked into it. But we don't need to do exactly that, because geekiness is an airborne virus. You know it is. You've been to a convention, you've inhaled the excitement and sweat, and gone along for the ride. And people aren't immune to that ride. Next convention you go to, player two... Get excited about the cosplay. Get excited about the figures and the comics and the manga and the video games and the fan art. Even the cosplay that doesn't look exactly like the characters. Even the cosplay of characters you don't know. The fan art that, eh, could be better. Finger gun that person and tell them they look excellent. And you will look like a dork doing it. But while you're doing that, you're going to be turning the tide. And maybe it'll spread and we can teach the mainstream people who are in the convention. Not just about the fact that Aquaman is pretty cool, but the geekery is about getting excited. It's about immersing yourself. It's about a feeling of escape that we all create for one another at a convention. Which means you move out of the way of the person in the bulky cosplay. It means you smile at someone because, hey, they dressed up. Or, hey, they're wearing a cool shirt. And if nothing else, it'll freak out the normal people. Come on, player two. We better get back to the tavern. Player two, made it back home. 
few things before you go. I got these off the notice board. Rick and Morty's finale is going to be live streamed on Adult Swim. I don't care right now because I haven't had time to watch it, but I think it will make you happy. For people in Australia, I assume Anime Lab will have it on there and I hope they do it as a simulcast because that would make us all happy or all of you happy. Again, haven't watched it. I'll get around to it. Also, Fate Stay Night's Heavensfield, the movie Presage Flower, is making its US debut on November 3rd, which means we should get it in Australia, maybe after that. The Fate anime series is a great one to get into if you haven't already. There's also a video game, but it's the anime I love. Basically, historical figures come together to fight to the death to claim the Holy Grail. And there are so many feels. Oh, and King Arthur is a girl. Lol. There's also new footage of the Yokai Watch Psychic Spectres, and I am here for this. Yokai Watch is like, what if Pokemon were ghosts and those ghosts annoyed people? If you've watched all your Pokemon series and you want something new, Yokai Watch is where it's at. It's cute as hell animation, so you should get onto it. It's also a very cool game. The battle strategy is different from Pokemon. It's like if you have three Pokemon at the one time fighting three other Pokemon. If you're looking for something a bit more adult, there's only a few weeks until Code Geass compilation movie one hits cinemas. Code Geass is an anime also. It's about a kid who gets mind control powers bestowed upon him by an alien girl who loves pizza. He uses these to overthrow the invaders of his country. There's mech fights, school festivals, and serious feels. First movie is due out in the world on October 21, but I haven't heard anything about when it's due outside of Japan. The next two are due February 2018 and May 18. That's it, player two. I'm going to go watch Electric Dreams. That looks like it's going to get me ready for the new Blade Runner because Electric Dreams, you know, do androids dream of electric sheep. That's a thing. God, I'm so nerdy. If you want to say hi, you can so on the Kitty M Facebook page or the Land of Pod Facebook page. There's also Twitters, Chaos Kitty M and the Land of Pod. So go there, check them out, say hi to me if you want. And you don't have to. It's fine. I'm not that socially dependent that I need people to say hi to me. But I do have such a low self-esteem that I would really love it if you would rate this pod highly on whatever podcatcher you're listening to and, uh, you know, tell your friends about it. Spread the word. Hey, here's this slightly below average pod that's not that terrible. Or look at this pod. It's pretty terrible. Let's laugh at it and download it a bunch of times. Either way works for me. I'm not that picky. Until next time, play it too.